0: You're listening to The Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now, here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller.
1: All right. Welcome back, everybody, Uh, future teammates. Uh, you're with ones ready in the team room for the podcast. And just like always, it's the greatest podcast you've ever seen, watched, or listened to. Uh, so you're welcome. Uh, we also want to thank you, I guess, for watching and we, listening We want to start off by saying you're welcome, though. That was,
0: a, that was a good one. So first of all, you're welcome for, for I mean, I want to
1: just put out the value of the podcast. I think it's pretty amazing. And I wish that I would have had this before I joined. So uh, I think it would be dishonest of me to say that I'm not proud of what we're putting out. Okay. Uh, but yeah. We do want to thank everybody out there that's subscribing, uh, interacting with us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, everywhere else. Uh, Twitter? I don't know if we do Twitter. Uh, Whatever the kids are using (laughs) these days, Reddit and all that other stuff. And uh, listening on all the the Spotify and everything else. Uh, Apparently, Spotify is the next big thing. If you haven't heard the news, go check it out. Find Google. See what happens. Also... I want to talk about some friends of ours. We have Alpha Brew Coffee Company, if you want to get caffeinated the natural way. We have Strikeforce Energy, my personal favorite, if you want to get caffeinated in the, you know, my way. And then uh, we have Everly Stock. So if you want to go out there and ruck and use the best equipment uh, for hunting, rucking, whatever else, uh, go to Everly Stock, do yourself a favor. All those companies, throw in ones ready, get yourself a discount. We don't get anything for it. They're just awesome companies. We'd like to support them. So today, our guest, now that I'm done talking about myself and everything that I love, is Gavin Fisher. So Gavin is a pararescu man. Did I say that right? Pararescue man. Yeah, it's a PJ, pararescue Para, jumper. Pararescue person.
0: <laughs> person. Um, and
1: he's got a lot of experience operationally, uh, A S, uh, all that other stuff. So like always, we're gonna ask Gavin, what's your background? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, get this thing rolling.
2: Cool. So thanks for uh having me on the podcast. Uh it's nice that you guys are putting out all this information all the time. Like you said, I wish I would have had this before I joined. So
1: see?
2: try, try to do my best to, <laughs> did you to, just, represent, to
0: represent well. Did you just say, I told you so off of something Gavin said, <laughs> see, he told you so Gavin agrees with me. If the guest agrees yeah. with me, then I <laughs> can't be wrong.
2: Yeah. But, uh, so my background is I joined in February, 2010 as a straight PJ student, Went through the pipeline and the average two and a half years. Uh, my first and really only operational duty station was Vegas, the 58th Rescue Squadron. But I was there for like almost seven years. So and then within that time frame, I knocked out on average a deployment every year. Some of them were back-to-back deployments, like I would go from uh like Kuwait or Iraq, right into Africa, so kind of you know a little space here and there, but my first deployment was when we were still doing the uh, actual Kavakh missions, the true Pedro stuff, which was a lot of fun uh, and that really kind of I got a lot of job satisfaction out of that because there was just blood and guts, danger, everything, and then that kind of took me through some of these more vanilla deployments, like to Kuwait uh. And kind of kept going along. On the state side, when I wasn't deployed, uh, I was going to help out STTS and helping to take some guys through the air ops phase. There, I got to see like a lot of units, even all the way up to Alaska Guard Reserve, other operational units. So I've really been quite blessed as far as my experience goes. Uh, but I do, you know, even though I was just technically at Vegas for six and a half years, I got to kind of see everything, and then uh, you know, s- some people know but I got blown up and then I was talking to, uh, the chief in Vegas and he's like, well, Hey, like you've been here forever and you're going to have to go to San Antonio to get healed up anyway. And Indoc is there, you may get in on Indoc, and then you have A and S that no one really knows what it is. Uh, but go there. And so I was like, cool. So my uh, girlfriend and I moved to Texas. I was in A for, uh, from the first class all the way to the one just before this last one. So that was about another year, year and a half. And then from there, I joined the 308 Thrusty Squadron at Patrick Air Force Base, which is uh, Cocoa Beach, is how people refer to it a lot, the guys at Cocoa Beach. So and I've uh, been here. That's truncated version of my background.
1: Nice. Well, I think what what we want you to go into detail a little bit about is that initial you know going from civilian uh how you heard about pararescue uh your experiences enlisting and and through Windoc, and maybe some of your what some of the tools you used to make it through and maybe uh some of the things that have changed or or any advice that you'd give guys uh and some of the things that you used
2: okay so uh going to join the military the reason why I chose the air force first and foremost is I was talking to my own buddies, my parents, friends, complete strangers with veterans hats on, and they all started saying the same thing. And I'm talking about World War II veterans to Vietnam Green Berets to, you know, fresh after uh, September 11th Navy SEALs. And they're like, what I did in the military, I wouldn't change for the world. But if I could do it again, I would try doing that in the Air Force because, you're not operating 24/7 365 like what do you come home to and they always said that you know the air force has the best food the best bases the cutest guys and girls you know like whatever <laughs> i'm trying to be i'm trying to be inclusive hey, that is, said, no that, that is true like, like just look at our
0: focus group we've got a, a lot of good looking guys you know what i'm saying yeah of course of
3: course It's pretty uh, good representation uh, right here
0: but
2: they're like they're like do it in the air force dude do what you think is right in the air force because you come home to the air force to have the best deployments deployment schedules and blah 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 so i went in my parents my dad's a cop my mom was a firefighter and they're like well go do something cool like you're you're not gonna the way i am you're not gonna enjoy your life if you're just a cook or a financier not to speak ill of those but it wouldn't have held my attention so i went into the recruiter i'm like what's the coolest most challenging thing in the Air Force. And he's like, oh, you'll never make it. And I was like, I'll do that.
0: I didn't know what it was. <laughs> you, you, had me at, you had me at condescending to me. I'm yeah, going to do this in, now we? to spite you. you say you? I can't do yeah, something? No, you say, I, talk
1: to me like that. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> we a bitch. tally of how many people have been told that they're never going to make it when they go it's to the recruiter? everybody. So it's I
0: like don't even. 15. Yeah. I, we need to write like a, an FAQ on what to say to people when they tell you inevitably <laughs> that you're not going to make it. It's so common. Like, I don't understand.
3: I wonder are the yeah. people that were told that versus the people that weren't told that, like, who made it? I feel like all of us are told that. So we had to make it because there's of one that. thing that can be to.
0: certain is the person telling you that was probably told that and they were right. Like that's <laughs> the only, it's the only thing that I can possibly <laughs> think of is that they're hurt about something else. It's terrible.
2: Well, as an instructor and, uh, you know, I know, uh, some of you guys know this, you're just like, you're never going to make it you. You know, like just quit now. And the person who makes it at the end, you're like, you told me I wasn't going to make it. I'm like, I don't even remember who you are.
3: What's
0: your roster number? I like, don't even do you know your name. Yeah. Do you have a name?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: You're you're welcome yeah. for the motivation.
2: Yeah. You look so much different with not having MRSA all over your face. <laughs> 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 yeah. A and S is rough. So, but uh, anyway, uh, going through indoc, which is of course way harder, uh, just a little shit talking
0: of course. Uh, <laughs> hey, but did you before, we were, you, before you, before you go on, were you in that area where you had a developer? Like, have you worked, did you work with somebody before you got nope. in or was it all you? Nope.
2: Nope. Um, uh, the, the McNeely brothers, they had just graduated PJU and they were doing grass. So I was pretty lucky, but they really just kind of like smoked the shit out of me and tried to get me to quit. And I didn't. Uh, and then, that's, that's all the development I had. We had nothing special and basic besides all being in the super flight. Uh, but there's no special diet and no special training. Uh, Cervantes came and talked to us like two weeks before we graduated basic and basically told us that we weren't going to make it, but Paris, he's like super cool and kind of, you know, rebalances, but there is nothing like it is now. And then after you graduated basic, you had the weekend and then you went straight into Indoc, just nine week warrior camp. Um, but, so a lot of these guys I hear saying like oh, I never had quit in my mind like and I think it's a lie like I grew up like very comfortable middle class like if I didn't make it through doc, like I had options and so quitting crossed my mind like all the time like
0: we'd be on a run <laughs> and I was like I want to quit I was thinking about yeah oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you guys yeah. have had this feeling but have you ever been on just the longest run of your life and you just wish through no fault of your own that your leg would break. And you'd just be like, listen, <laughs> I didn't do anything. It was just a thing that the doctors missed. It was a stress fracture that never healed right. And it just broke mid-run. I'm going to go take it to the hospital. Yeah, like, looking for those
2: validating injuries. So you're <laughs> going to quit, but you know you weren't going to make it anyway. Like
1: practicing your sad face
0: for what yeah, really, like, I can't oh, believe yeah, my tib fib snapped in half. I didn't see yeah. that rock. Oh, no. I would just
2: – yeah, all the time, like holding my breath. I'm like, this sucks. I should just pop and quit. But I would – you know, this run, this is heinous. Like I don't like it. But I would I would think about – quitting for so long that by time (laughs) I even probably even got close, the event was already over. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll quit on the next one. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you
0: distracted (laughs) yourself by making, making up quitting in your head.
2: And the, yeah, the only thing that they prepped me for the McNeely brothers were like, look, you're going to make it like in doc, even though they'll, they'll test you and everything. Like you will get stronger over the nine and a half weeks that it, it takes. Like you just have to show up every morning and not quit. So I wonder if I, that's you know, why that, so
4: many people quit after the end of an event You, you ever notice that where that you know you're you're just in the pain cave and they just they ask for a quitter, never get it and then at the end of the pool session, dude gets up and grabs the bullhorn and quits
0: Yeah. We had a guy, yeah, no cr- kidding, like getting ready to carry the log over after my whole night. It was a young airman. And he's like, I'm ready to quit. I was like, what are you doing? We're done. We're going home to get a shower and go to bed, dude. Like, they're not screwing with us anymore. Like, we're, we're done. Like, this whole mm-hmm. week thing, it's over. Like, I'm, tell- I'm not screwing with you. Like, we're done. He's like, nope. Says my made up. He's like, I'm out of here, dog.
3: I actually have a theory about all this stuff and it has to do with as, as scores, because I used to do student affairs stuff whenever I was an instructor or before I became the instructor supervisor. But when I look at the people that would quit, anyone that was over 95 would quit on the, in the morning because they'd be overthinking it and they'd be like just contemplating what was going on and they couldn't figure out and they couldn't find a pattern. Those people that were like in the lower end, they quit during the pool session because they're impulsive. So I don't know where you – I don't want you to share this unless you're comfortable with sharing your ASVAB score. But
2: I don't even, I don't even remember what it is, but
0: I, I think that's <laughs> somewhere in the middle because I didn't quit at all. I don't remember right. what mine exactly. yeah. is. Right,
3: so you're, those people in the middle are the ones that make it because you can't be exactly. like too, too smart, but you can't be you know <laughs> yeah, on the like lower end. You. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're good.
0: Exactly. If I get that <laughs> in my online courses, that's a pass, homie. Yeah. I would, I would, and I
2: didn't think about quitting like every event, you know, they're all like not that hard at times, but what, what I did tell myself and when I I do try to tell students, this is, I was like, look, no matter what happens, this day will end. This course will end no matter what happens. It will end. However, when you go back to the dorms, whether it's at the end of the day or at the end of the course, you're going to go back as a quitter or as a graduate and a graduate of that day a graduate of the course like it doesn't matter but no matter what happens you're still in AETC. people lose their perspective all the time like that's why when the, the cadre tell you have the cadre could tell you have 30 minutes to put on your shoes in time and it'd go by like this but you tell someone to hold their breath for 1 minute and it, it's an eternity so just not losing perspective of, of time and how it will end and how you want to end that day no matter what happens will always be under your control yeah. That's, so I went from thinking about like quitting on every event and I kind of, because, you know, waking up at 3am to go get your shit pushed in
0: is like,
3: like the most exciting stuff I think, at 3 I think I had
0: the winter schedule. We yeah. did not, that was not the first event of the day usually.
3: I don't remember yeah. having that. I don't remember. You, you might want to go talk to somebody about that. Different schedule. You guys, yeah.
0: you guys didn't have that cadre everyone called Uncle
3: Tony? Like. <laughs> Oh, Capo's not gonna like that.
2: Fantastic! Yeah, <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was about now we've done it. Life. Great, great <laughs> guys. Yeah.
0: Well, so you uh, took that all the way through, you know, your Indoc experience and and getting through that and and not being a quit. Obviously, you were a graduate during those days, thanks to your middle, you know, middle of the road ASAP <laughs> scores and uh, inability to get wrapped <laughs> up in an event, but. Take us through the pipeline, man. What was your what was your favorite school? So you got out of indoc, and then I'm assuming you just hit like the normal progression. You went straight to dive and then in some order, airborne, seer, or free fall.
2: Dive school was the first time that I felt like because you go through indoc and immediately after you graduate indoc, the indoc story start. Uh just sure. like any other type two fun where it sucks when you're going through it, but it's your favorite memory and it's the one you talk about forever. But I still feel like even now, these days, because after a you go through pre-dive and then to dive school, which you're either going through the Air Force one, the Army one, whatever. But I feel like dive school may have been one of the most fun schools, but I didn't really feel like I was in the pipeline yet because dive school still had a high enough attrition rate or you get set back or whatever. Uh, and I had so much fun in dive school in Panama City Beach. But after I got through dive school and I got to Albuquerque, like the capital of the PJ Condom, like that's where I felt like i I was in it now, and that's where I really started turning and i like i re- that's where I probably had the most buy in is when I got through indoc, I got through dive school, and I arrived to Albuquerque like in the in the middle of the night, and there was snow on the ground I'm like nice like this is where I'm at for the next like you know two years just so was that this- was back.
0: that your moment or was there a time in training where you're like, holy crap i might be I might be doing this p j thing for real like this might actually be a possibility that 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 was after uh Pju, like I so I made
2: it through all the hard schools on the first try but like I got set back in airborne
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> what? wait wait why did you get set because, back in airborne did you so, have your uh, feet
3: and knees apart or something? do you know yeah. how many people,
0: you know how many people you want to talk about ASVAB scores of people falling on military aircraft on a static line
3: yeah,
0: homie so, I, I got guys, some uncomfortable numbers to share with you my friend yeah do you guys know Jake Racico
2: yeah yeah. So Jake Bronco Racico, not to name full names and social security numbers. Uh, but uh, we were playing rock, paper, scissors in the harness shed. And this is like our second day of jumping. So I already had three jumps in the bag <laughs> and we're playing rock, paper, scissors. And then the, the first sergeant was like, I airborne. And so what happens? The whole 800 people in the hangar are like, oh, look. And he's like, you. Air Force with like just the most like disturbing tone. And so only like eight of us are looking at <laughs> always And he something goes next and time. he's like from the and he's on the far <laughs> end, like the second story up on the little black hat ledge, and he's like, you And so Jake racico and I both stand up and he says that as I was doing the airborne shuffle, like a hundred yards to him, that I rolled my eyes at him. And I was well, like Well, I mean, did you well, I mean probably after he said that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I did not at the time he was accusing me for. Uh, so they they the other they told me afterwards because I graduated after immediately after my second jump I didn't go through the airborne graduation. The black hats were just like, "You can leave if you want." So I called the uh, the traveling lady and I'm like, "Hey, can I go back to Albuquerque now?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure." So I just left in the middle of the night, and the black hats were like, "Yeah, that was kind of." a little extreme on his part, <laughs> but they only sent me back a weekend. So I didn't have to go
4: back through the whole thing.
0: So you you just bounced. You're just like, I'm yeah. out of here. Okay. Yeah. I think my flight out was like at 2am. I think that's they, actually a better
4: story it, than the, Hey, I, I got recycled on Airboard. I think that's actually pretty cool.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They gave, they gave me blood wings and stuff. That's, 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 that gave me some buy-in, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'll,
0: uh, paramedic did you go to nasty. the
3: airborne that we all went to man
0: <laughs> this has never happened before but do we find out that you're actually a poser on the podcast as we're talking about it like did you also work for the cia fresh out of your indoctrination team is there
3: parachute like <laughs> bags of sand or something? <laughs>
2: I never actually became a PJ, I'm just a deep state operative. That's
3: fine. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: That's the world we're living in. That's yeah. fantastic. What was your uh when you were in Albuquerque, right? So you're you're kind of feeling feeling that vibe and getting in your flow as it were down in Albuquerque. What was a uh, what was the biggest struggle in Albuquerque? Was it paramedic for you or was it a different was it, you know, the apprentice course? What was it?
2: The biggest struggle was the apprentice course for me because by the time you get there and, you know, I know you guys know this, but for the, the listeners, like the PJU and you get your bray, like you're, you're like done after that. It's not like the controller, like SR pipeline, where it's just like these mountain ridges of like, you're an operator, you're not an operator, you're an operator, you're not an operator. Like, it's just the, the PJ pipeline, you're in PJU. you are like if I could just get this knocked out, I'm in it. I have done it. I'm done. I get to go to a team like, and it's awesome. But I got set back. What was it? no i so i actually was a part of three pju teams uh i got set back on dirt med uh on my first team uh and then on my second team i made it all the way to water ops and it the this is like one of those things how standards change but it's just the luck of the draw but when i was doing water ops uh I exited and I had the the Heeds tank on my right leg, which at the time was like this huge thing. Even though now none of us think twice about it, uh, and I did like a ninety degree turn, and then I like turned back, so I had to like do it again. But then I did another one eighty turn, and yep. then I like fail, get out, yeah. Get yeah. your and stuff, like, <laughs> go to station
0: one. No wonder, <laughs> yeah.
2: But thankfully, the the cadre there, uh, you know, were like, hey, like he's a good guy, he's blah blah blah. We'll give him another shot because at the time three PJ, like you only got the one setback and then you were out. So I was once again, very lucky. Uh, and then on my, uh, my third PJU team, and I got to join the last one that had already gone through like dirt med and land nav again. So it wasn't like a full three teams. I just got set back to the the junior team. Um, and that's when I finally graduated and you talk about like a moment of pride, like putting on your bray and you're done. And, uh, we had like all the awesome cadre, uh, there and the, the, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, you're going through FTX and they normally come up with some cool way. The FTX is your final field training exercise. And they, they come up with some cool way to like present you, your berets. And so for us, they're like, all right, last minute mission. Uh, like you guys just have to deliver this, uh, this resupply to this team on top of the mountain. So we spent like five hours Carrying this heavy ass box up this stupid fucking mountain. Up <laughs> oh, this stupid <laughs> was, mountain. And, and the stupid like,
0: cold because it's always a winter
2: class. Yeah. And they're like, everyone is just at each other's throats. And then we get up there and all the cods are up there and like, oh, let me guess. Now back down the mountain. You know, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so they're like, open the box. And we open the box and there's like a bunch of braids in there. And we're like, what's uh, in the box? Oh my God. Like, well, like, well, like, <laughs> like we didn't even realize it at first. Then we all like started, you know, Little, little tears of joy maybe hit here and there. But I, I i didn't cry. I just had something to pull my eyes. Um,
0: that, that's, that's when I finally... It gets dusty out there on those ranges. Range 60 gets really dusty, homie. <laughs> yeah. I know the mountain yeah. you're talking about. It gets dusty up there. Yeah, that, that's, that's when I was
2: like, man, I did it. It's awesome. And then, like I said, my first deployment, I was right in the fight right away. And so I had a lot of career field validation that some of the new guys aren't necessarily getting... Uh, these days right now but uh, whether you're about to come in or you just got your beret or you've been in a couple of years and you're starting to like lose hope like the the fight will happen like <laughs> you're you're in special operations you're the you're the first people to get in the fight normally in any kind of war loud or quiet and like it will happen just when you're you know your god decides it or you decide it or your boss decides it like if it's if it's your time like it's gonna happen and bringing it on the reel, you know like a uh, fob plight out there in albuquerque like jason plight died on his first deployment didn't he and then you have people like uh, chief mccaskill who went through 20 years of a military career and crushed it and then uh you know and, and unfortunately was killed on the end of this deployment so don't don't fall prey to this immediate gratification culture that we've all started to be living in, like put in the hard work. And I'm not saying stick with something you don't agree with, but you're never going to get any mission if you get out You're never going to get any mission if you quit, you know, so.
4: No, that's, that's good. And it kind of, it's a good transition for us because I wanted, I wanted to ask you, since we've been focusing on the pipeline and PJU. Once you got to your first duty station, like what was that like? You already said that you were on back-to-back deployments and deploying on an average of every year. So, what were some of those deployments like for you? Uh,
2: they they were all awesome. My my first deployment, you're doing you know a couple of missions every day. Uh, sometimes you would land and not even have time to call your wife or your girlfriend or your family because you're trying to shove food in your mouth, restock the the met. Uh, well yeah, Aaron, you were there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was, yeah, worst deployment of all time. His uh the team leader out yeah. there was a I hear a real piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: and so like like it, it it was just you were in it. And even if you weren't doing missions that day, the camaraderie between everyone, like it was everything you bargained for. And then even on these, you know, stupid deployments like to Kuwait, uh like there was 0.0 chance of us getting a mission in Kuwait. And so we just (laughs) all focused on working out, becoming better in our skills uh, and everything like that. And I, I have my favorite deployments, my least favorite deployments, but I have pulled something out of every deployment that has made me better. And you deploy with the same guys over and over again, you get closer. Uh, But no, I was kind of rambling, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, it's uh, good. But I mean, but yeah. like,
4: so those deployments, fantastic learning experience. What were the different mission sets that you accomplished, like okay. the different roles that you had on each of those deployments? So
2: on my first two deployments, I was a team member. So I was just worried about, uh, I was, and I was with the PJ team. So I was just worried about medicine and being in shape and doing what I'm told. On my middle two deployments, I was an element leader, and I was also getting my like instructor upgrade and I started bringing it up the younger p j s under me now uh to get better as well as developing my leadership skills uh That was what that was like Kuwait and Africa where I was an element leader and Africa was awesome because you'd get to go work with the tier one guys and you know other places uh and then you'd come back to uh the horn where we're all at and you get to continue being like a pj element leader and you doing like these long ship pickups uh and still working on medicine and then my last two deployments were as a team leader uh and i think being a team leader is like the most awesome thing uh, because it's not like in the army or navy where if you're a team leader or a troop chief you have like all these people underneath you and you're like in an admin role but as a pj team leader there's like six guys under you on a team. And you just, you know, you come up with your own training schedule and your missions get launched and you make the calls of the pilots and you're, you're still so involved at this upper echelon leadership level. Uh, And then on my last deployment, I started off as like the, the, we call it the TRS team leader, basically the guys that are just going to farmed out. Uh, But I basically went there, made sure all the young PJs were squared away with gear questions because over the course of all these other deployments, I got to work with the Navy Seals, the Green Berets, the French, the Polish, everyone like that. And I would just get, you know, farmed out here and there. Uh, so I pushed all my guys out to the ODA teams. And then I took the last team, uh, with one of my youngest guys and, uh, gave him the ominous dominus after I had him set up all the med rucks. <laughs> 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 And then, and then I, and then I sent him, uh, to another team and that's, uh, That's when I stopped being a team leader on this last deployment and I was just a PJ on an ODA team, no team member, team leader. I was just, my job was there to be the technical rescue specialist, an enabler, a medic. Like, I don't, I don't care. You can call me whatever name you want. Like I know how to. (laughs)
4: I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was just, well, we talk about this and I've talked about this with some other guys. Does it ever surprise you how fast in our community guys go from the new guy to like the salty older guy getting the younger guys ready Uh, because that's all i could think about during your stories
2: oh yeah yeah it's it's insane uh it we call them the big three it's moody tucson and vegas the active duty units but that's a puppy mill like you get you get the most (laughs) new guys out of any of the units you bring them up hopefully get a deployment or two squeezed out of them and then uh base but a lot of times within a year or two, you're either starting your element leader upgrade or you are an element leader, depending on how squared away you are. But yeah, you get, you get salty real quick. <laughs>
4: <laughs> do, do you think that the pipeline that you went through with PJU and everything, do you think that that prepared you for the deployment since you kind of went immediately after graduating?
2: I, th- I think mine did because my pipeline and the, the flavor of Dan Kazovac, Pedro missions. That's what all the scenarios were based around. That's what the stories the cadre were telling. were all a part of. And then my first deployment was right there. So for me, it was a perfect puzzle piece fit. Uh, I think these days you have uh, a lot more experience, thankfully, at the at the schoolhouses. Uh, but the the combat kind of ebbs and flows. And I think during this past couple years, the combat has kind of like gone down a little bit but uh that's why i talked about like the pipeline is still preparing people accurately but when you get out to the team you don't get a chance to capitalize on it right
0: away
4: yeah that makes sense yeah i i get what you're coming from i yeah so i know for me for my first deployment it was an enormous learning curve i mean that I couldn't believe how much I thought I knew and then Hmm. where I went to as I, as I'm going through a deployment. So do you feel that I'm going to put you on the spot here? Do you feel Mm. that the pipeline prepared you better or that the unit prepared you better? What did you learn? Where, what location did you learn more at?
2: Oh, the unit, uh, you could you know go to the best college in the world but you're gonna learn and retain most of what you know from your first job after that point uh, the I always say how there's not a difference between st and rescue and I'll fight that with the most passionate of them however as a how as dare an you. early is early young PJ to a rescue unit <laughs> yeah when you go to a rescue unit is your first uh, station you learn that like I can rely on my other fellow new guys to kind of help me through this. But when you go to an ST for your first unit, they're like, not only are you a piece of shit, but also <laughs> you're responsible for everyone. And you need to learn how to do this. And you also need to learn how to give yourself a ticket to fly out there. Like <laughs> like, <laughs> like a, in, in an ST growing up, like I don't think anywhere in PJU do, do they prepare you. Well, time in PJU, you're a member of a team. Mm-hmm. As a new guy at a rescue unit, you're going through green team or whatever is a member of a team, then you're a team member and you have all these people to bounce questions on. But when you go to an ST unit, I think that's one of the hardest ones to start off at for a new guy is because that's where you have the ultimate responsibility on you and no one's going to help you besides maybe the controller who's already even saltier because of his difficult pipeline. <laughs>
4: <laughs> There's a whole lot of yeah. saltiness going on here. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. When you ever get thrown into that that mix, and you just get out of PJU, like you said, one of that was one of my first deployments. Is you're like up there with the Rangers, and you're out there with everyone. They already doubt you because you're an Air Force dude, and they're like, "What does this guy got?" And then you got to oh, yeah. prove yourself and make sure you have all the right equipment and checklists. So it definitely is difficult. But I want to lead that into our next question. So you're doing all this stuff. It was awesome. You got all your uh, everything you wanted out of becoming a PJ. In Vegas, and a little known fact, also we're in the same unit. But like we talked about in previous podcasts, we never even got to really see each other most of the time. Yeah. I'd see you in the bar, in the uh, team room, bar <laughs> yeah. team room, um, and we'd chat about when you guys were, you know, downrange or whatever. And then you guys would take off again, or we'd take off. But uh, once that ended, you had to transition to something. Um, just like me, I went to the schoolhouse uh down at Lackland to uh work with on indoc. Unfortunately, that was going away when you were joining up. So what made you kind of wanna go down to Lackland and work at ANS? Uh
2: so I really enjoy sharing my stories and I think that it's something that comes natural to me and it also helps me cope. In, in a way, uh, you know, by telling my tales. And I, i benefited a lot from hearing people like Aaron that, you know, not only talked about all their triumphs, but also all of their like screw ups. And like the, not a lot of people are saying that these days, because even on social media, like operators are flawless, you know, perfect <laughs> practitioners of Hey, I think of another P word I couldn't, uh, but you're like <laughs> you, people mess. You up really all tried to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, people mess up all the time, especially the special operators, and especially the new PJ supporting an ODA team for the first time. And you ha- understand how you have to taper that so that you know they still have confidence in you, but if you go in there 100 percent arrogant, you're going to get someone killed you know, either yourself or someone else. So I like telling all of my stories, even if they're embarrassing or not. Uh, and when I was telling this to man, if you want to, you know, coach, teach, train, mentor, you can either go to Albuquerque or you can go to Lackland. And I knew, and you know, some of you guys know about my past that I won't bring up, but I was done with Albuquerque. I maxed that town out. Uh, and I was like, I've never been to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let, let me, let me get out my hat. And we'll go down there. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, and So, and th- that's why I went down there. And uh, ANS, there is like, there's pretty much no, and I sound, but there's pretty much no more meaningful interaction between the cadre and the students at ANS. Like when I was going through NDOC, the instructors would be like, put you through this heinous thing and then tell you why they did it. But in the new ANS model, Everything's so regimented, so structured for a good reason, but it also like sacrifices. Like we can't tell the students why we just made them do this because it's part of the game, but also because we just don't have time. And so I wasn't getting that. For f- I was just basically smoking these people, telling them what garbage they were. They're not <laughs> selecting at the end of this course, and these guys don't even know why. And I never got a chance to tell them like, "Hey, you're a great guy," but this, this is X, Y, Z, and they they all get debriefed at the end if you make it. Uh, and I'm by no means not trying to talk total shit about ans but i wasn't getting that fulfillment like you know you did in uh, albuquerque or you did it uh uh doc doc. yeah sorry
3: um yeah that was one of my favorite things was being able to mentor and and you know talk to the guys and at the end of the day be like hey I smoke the sh the crap out of you right now today. And this is why this is what you did. This is what you did. And we, I went through a whole list throughout the day, especially being the proctor and like being able to see the team and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly the backstory of ANS and everything that goes on, uh, beyond that. But, um, I think that mentorship is important, which is why we're doing this whole podcast thing so you guys can reach out to us and talk to us about our experiences. And you guys realize, because I'm sure, Gavin, you felt like, man, I'm just a monster and all the students think I'm just a monster and I'm just freaking smoking them for no reason. I can't explain that it's for a good reason. Like I want them to know that I care about them because all the instructors do care about the guys that end up making it in the end, because we want those guys to be better than we ever were. We want the right guys to be with our teammates that are going to be deploying down range and everything like that. So we care about the end result and it's, it is hard to just go there, torture people and then go home without saying, Hey, uh, this is why I did it.
2: Yeah. Like PJ's controllers, SR, like it's the most chill, awesome group of people ever. And any like you know like uh, I I didn't know peaches before this at all, but you know Aaron introduced us and just talking with him and just like immediately connection, you know. Uh, And I feel like that was in part fostered in the pipeline through interaction with with cadre and other team members. But there there's no time for that anymore. And like I wanted to be able to to get back in, I tried transferring to in Texas, like pre-dive or, uh, you know, stuff like that. It just wasn't panning out. I tried coming down here to Tampa in the, uh, I forgot what the position's called. It's like some PR planning position here at the SOCOM headquarters. Uh, that wasn't available at the time. And then I tried going the SOAR route, the special operations recruiter, where you get to, you know, keep your beret and all your pays and really just, that'd be awesome for me. Cause I love Telling people why they need to do this and getting them to come in and being successful, and then uh, that didn't. Work. And part of it, you know, was maybe command level stuff. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm getting out. And they're like, well, why are you getting out? <laughs> I was like, because well, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm not just going to like sit here and hate my life. Uh, not that I that I hated it. Uh, but I wanted to find more meaning, and then I knew that you could Palace Chase and Palace Front, and getting into the the reserve, you know, part of this, and so I started chasing that down. Called out to to Cocoa Beach, and do you guys want to get?
1: Yeah, actually, that's that is the next still, question. Uh, you know, how in, how intense was that application process? Did they look at your hair? You know, and did they look at it in all <laughs> phases to make sure that you're good enough to be a. <laughs> Uh, PJ still? I gotta yeah, imagine well, you gotta be on some sort of a waiver right now. Like there's no uh, way
0: that you're <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
2: So it all moved from up here to down here. So Oh man, uh, you got you got
0: power alleys now, bro. You look like uh you look like what's his name? Woody Harrelson ate Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, I sent him older
2: photos of when I was clean shaven with a full head of hair and they're like, "This guy's." And then a Mongol pup showed up. Uh it was too late. But uh Yeah. the... The application process, the insert. So, if you're active duty, the you have to go to an in-service recruiter, and the in-service recruiter is a reservist or a guardsman on full-time orders, so they can work all the time to help you out. And then you can either basically palace chase or palace front. A palace front is where you sign up for the guard or reserve, and then when you're ends, you just you're the next day you're in the guard or reserve. And so a palace chase is where up to a year out. So if I had a, a year left on my active duty service contract, I could call a unit in the guard or reserve and they'd be like, I want to give you my last year of active duty service. And there's for every month, for every X amount of months they accept you owe them like another year of service. So there's a trade-off just like with anything. Uh, and so I palace chased because I was trying to get out of Texas quicker, uh, Than it palace from. So I started really honing in on the units. All the PJ guard reserve units are awesome. Um, but there was really only one that I wanted to go to. Uh, so my, my girlfriend identifies Florida, like as home, I love Florida who doesn't love Florida. Uh, And so there's
0: a lot of Florida man
4: around here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Listen, we're not talking, we're not talking panhandle boys. We're talking Atlantic side down that that India Atlantic. Like we're talking, Florida's got levels. All right. We're talking in between Miami and the panhandle. And your boys (laughs) are in here.
2: And so uh, like Alaska, that's awesome. As far as PJ units that remain gainfully employed stateside as well. There's so many, but I, narrowed it down to either Alaska, because those guys are operating all the time. Uh, and then Cocoa Beach with the NASA you know, missions and stuff down here. And so I had mentally, I had already ran down the rabbit hole completely as far as like a rescue. Not that I'm done with that, but I'm like, there's so much that goes to this beret. There are other aspects of like, I want civilian rescues. I want Rams jumps. I want space shuttle stuff. And Cocoa Beach, uh, not only for the location, obviously, but also for just the, the, I think they have like the broadest mission set of any of the, of the PJ units. And I, and I know it's arguable and I'm not trying to sound uh, argumentative about it, but that's where my mindset was. I was like, if I want to explore every corner of this beret. Like, I need, and then a bunch of my, you know, of course, a bunch of my buddies were down, down here, like D's down here as well, and stuff like that. And so, like, all the boys are there, and it's in the fun and the sand and the sun. You're like, are you kidding me? Like, of course they're going down there. So, uh, the first, the first step for me is talking to my supervisor. And then I, uh, he's like, all right, yep, we accept this. The commander had approved it. My uh, new commander had come in at that point. And so he approved it and he's like, all right, we'll call down there and get yourself brought on because for any of the units, you a bro system, but you still need their backing to make it happen in the way that it should. So I called the uh, chief Z who just retired, did an on the phone interview with him. He's like, well, he sounds awesome. And then he made a round of calls, uh, asking about me, you know, like I know he called, uh, I know he called Mies. You know, asked him, <laughs> and he mm-hmm. was like, yeah. "Like, do you know Gavin Fish? And he's like, do I know Gavin Yeah, Fish? I <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, don't <laughs> hire him. <laughs> how, much, how much time you got, buddy? Yeah. Uh, so then they approve you, even though it's not on paper or anything. Like, yeah, we want you down here. We'll help you on our end with the paperwork. And this is for any of the guard or reserve units. You, you just don't apply to go there. Uh, they want to know who you are because you're going to be working there potentially for a very long time time. It's not like active duty, where even if you're liked or loved, you move around every couple of years. Uh, they really invest in everyone from the operators to the support. And so they really want to make sure they're hiring the right person.
1: But, but I do want to make a point. And that point is, is the calls still happen on active duty. It's a very small community and people know you. Uh, so if you think you're walking into a situation with a clean sheet of paper, you're probably incorrect. Uh, the calls <laughs> so, have been made.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you you'd never go into a unit in active garden reserve being a complete stranger uh, for better or for worse. Either your buddies know you or the bosses know you or your reputation for good or bad is known. But I think there's just more of a premium on it in the garden reserve when you're palace chasing or palace fronting. Um, and so I went through that, the, the paperwork bad. And for me, I had all these waivers that I needed to get, not only for a cool guy shaving waiver, of course, but then uh, they, the paperwork takes like two weeks to get approved, disapproved, or just sent back to you. So every time I had to fix a problem, I would have to wait two weeks just to see if I messed anything up. And you talk about like very stressful way to do things, you know, they're like, all right, well, everything looks good. Uh, and we can see this is a shaving waiver and we can see it in the system, but we need an MFR from the shaving waiver. And I'm like, what? And this is like AFPC HQ. And I was like, what? And so of course that happens, send it back and they're like, oh, well, during this process, your security clearance was valid, but now it slaps." And I'm like, well, yeah, because it's been like three months, <laughs> like it was good when we started it. So then I needed to rehack the security clearance, which you guys know is just fascinating coming out all the places you've lived <laughs> since you were born for 10 yeah. years. Yeah. 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 Does your mother's womb have an address? Can you put it down? <laughs> is there anybody oh, in there that knew so. you? <laughs> well, my twin actually. Yeah. So, haha. <laughs> uh, but the, the paperwork was so heinous. It almost made me like <laughs> just stay in Texas, which is maybe what they wanted. Uh, but I, I followed through with that finally got down to Cocoa beach and this has been the best decision of my life.
3: I like just want to hit that. Love it. I just want to hit that one real quick. So you went from active duty over to reserve. A lot of the guys that, uh, all the questions that I get are, is it possible to go over and why would you want to go do that? You know, other people are chasing like, uh, some kind of degree or if they're staying at home with family for some kind of reason, um, what do you think is the biggest reason why you wanted to go? And, um, what do you think is the biggest difference between being active and being reserve? Now, uh,
2: so my main motivators personally and professionally were family, like you know, uh, you know, going to be starting a, a family, uh, with my girlfriend and you know, escalating you know that relationship and stuff, and uh, also my, my uh, college degree, uh, uh, operationally, uh, more on the so that's personal side, it's pretty much just family, family, and self education, and bettering myself for life after the military, uh, professionally as a team leader and as a technical sergeant, you know, you put on master and active duty unit and you could still do the job or you could be riding a desk, you know, but on the reserve and guard side, like there's still like senior master sergeants out there getting it like on the, on the ground, like your, your operational life is extended to reserve men, reservist. Uh, and so I still feel like I got a lot of fight left in me and I still want to do awesome stuff, you know, hood ratio with my friends. And so like that's, Yes,
0: of course, of
2: course, yeah, of course. Hashtag, Uh, and so that—that's professionally why I did it. Uh, And on the reserve side, going talking to the people that aren't in the military yet, what's really cool is that all these guard and reserve bases have uh, like hiring windows that they'll bring you guys. Coupling that with my A and S experience, I can also help better prepare people that Cocoa beach wants to hire to be like, Oh yeah, this is what you need to focus on this. Is what you need to do, or Hey, maybe this isn't the guy, or maybe you're not ready in this aspect. And I mean, now I just can be employed so much more and get back to that coaching, training, mentoring, uh, that I, that I want to do so much.
3: And actually so, do the mentoring this time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the, the reason, the reason why I went is personally family, actually staying in the fight Nice and, exploring more of what it is to be a pararescue man and doing nasa recovery missions and rams jumps to the open water and of course going back to afghanistan or africa or wherever so
1: can can we get a guarder reservist that's unhappy in the guarder reserve next time because i'm really getting <laughs> yeah. tired of all these guys telling yeah. all these great stories they um, don't so exist man. i'm sick of it a little more
0: yeah, yeah. i have a, i have a better shot of finding bigfoot up here in the pacific northwest than we do somebody that's disgruntled the garter reserves yeah i am so happy <laughs>
3: All right, let's bring it to our last customary question. We always ask dudes that have been you know, through Indoc, through a bunch of stuff like you have. Um, what would you say if, for those guys and girls that are out there training training their butts off, going to the pool and all that now that they're open? Um, what would you say that they need to keep in mind and what is your best tool, best piece of advice for getting through the pipeline and then being successful at not only as a PJ, but whatever else, you know, CCT in life? What is your piece of advice to them?
2: Well, in order to be in the pipeline, you got to make it through ANS. My single piece of advice that, that I've known to come to ANS is I think you need to be able to ruck 15 miles with a 50-pound pack at a 15-minute-per-mile pace. If you can do that, then you'll be ready because it's not the timed rucks that get you. It's the ruck to the ruck that gets you. And then guess what? You do You do a ruck to the timed ruck. And then you're tired after that. And then you're going to ruck back from the ruck you just did. And rucking <laughs> is murdering people these days. Like people, people that are, that can swim the cups like their feet and their knees are just given out. And they're not used to, to, and even though prep tries to prepare them, I think they're coddled a little bit too much. But for some reason, when you get to A&S and and you are in these field settings and your bottoms, like the bottoms of your feet, like are going to get trench footy. Like you need to be rucking. And then, uh, that'll get you through ANS. If you can get to the end of ANS, statistically speaking, you got a 50-50 shot of making it. Either you're a select or non-select, but you have to be able to ruck in today's game. There's not as much of a premium on the running and the swimming as there was when we went through our models that we did. Like If you can crush rucks, that you just significantly upped your stock. So once again, I recommend a 15-mile ruck with at least a 50-pound pack at a 15-minute-per-mile pace if you can do that and show up at ANS you're I think you're going to do pretty good.
4: So as long as you're able to do that you're not recommending that they do it once a week kind of thing it's just no, no, as no. as a culmination or a capstone be able to do this a 15-miler yeah. with 50 pounds.
2: Yeah. Yeah, if you, as, soon, as soon as you check that box you don't you do not need to do it every day but be able to check it at least once and then ANS is just a month of full send
4: fun times.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then as far as motivation in the pipeline, I feel like social media has disserviced a lot of people. You, the, the, the new listeners to the, the future cones, you need to make sure that this is what you want to do. want to, this is just my view. Like if you want to kick indoors and shoot people in the face, go join the army or the Navy. Because what an Air Force special operator is, is truly like the jack of all trades. Whether you're a controller, an SR, a PJ, like yes, you're going to be kicking in doors and shooting people in the face until something happens. The first people off the triggers and onto the radios or the medicine are the Air Force guys. And I say this with a grain of 100% true, but you're going to be just as tired as the Army guys that you just rocked in with. You're going to be just as you know blown up and confused as the army guys you just got blown up with but it's your job as the controller the pj to continue pushing forward to accurately drop those bombs to accurately give those drugs like you're you're i believe that only air force special operations jobs truly begin once the shit has hit the fan generally still just keeps pulling the trigger which is awesome and you need that to be happening but it's the air force guys that not only you need to do all this stuff, but then you also need to facilitate great thing. Make sure you know what you're getting into because there's so much more to Air Force spec ops than just shooting a fucking gun. Like you need to be smart. You need to be intelligent, charismatic. You will, even if you're the best PJ or combat controller in the world, you will never do your job if the team doesn't like you. Like you, you, you. as long as there's a, uh, the mission, the men and great book on military leadership. There's also how to win friends and influence people. Like you need to, you need to be a people person because you're going to show up to these teams as a random air force guy. And then you're going to need to become their friend in order to do your job.
4: Yep. So, and as soon as you but, show up, they automatically don't trust you or until you're able to prove that you are, you know, worthy. Then yeah. you're just, you're just another dude that they have to worry about.
2: Yeah. At 100%. So I know that was compressing that all in. you want to be a pj make sure you know what pjs do stateside operationally everything like that uh a lot of people discredit tac p's but if you just want to drop bombs tac p is a great job because that's all tac p's do combat controllers have the whole like other side of the world mission you know where you're also dropping bombs you're also setting up airfields you're also running planes and a lot of people are just like, "Well, I don't want to do any of that." It's like, "Well, you should have been attacked then. Like, no, coming no out for. It. So, be able to rock. Research what you want to do. Get off Instagram and actually crack a book, uh, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. reach reach out to friends. So that's my advice.
3: Yeah, I think those are all super valid, and a lot of things that I've told people that reach out to me um through messaging on instagram which is one of the good ways to do it. use instagram don't just read like all the <laughs> bi- the bios that are there like all the cool action stories or whatever but reach out to us that's why we're here to answer questions for you guys and we'll be real with you just like gavin is right now we'll tell you exactly if you don't if you want to go shoot people and you want to that is all you want to go do is shoot cool guns and do that kind of stuff then go do the navy seal job go do the green beret job ranger whatever um but this job in the Air Force, just like Gavin was talking about, exploring um, all the different aspects that PJs have to offer because it's jack-of-all-trades, you know. You can do the military side of the rescue, or you can do the civilian side, and you can jump on. There's guys that jump onto cruise ships or jump onto whatever kind of Rams mission, which is a boat that you throw out of an aircraft and you inflate it, drive up to the boat and save a dude. Um, so there's plenty of different options that you can explore in PJs. So that's one of the things that all of us love about our jobs is being able to do something different every single day and continue to challenge ourselves. So just like Gavin was saying, um, I'm just going to wrap it up real quick and we'll go to your last thoughts here and open it up for you guys. uh, Final questions. Um, So Gavin, like you said, you've done a crap ton from Vegas deploying uh, multiple times to combat zones from Pretty much growing up from uh, being a pop-up to team leader, like you said, and technical rescue specialist in charge of a bunch of dudes, um, all in Vegas, and then went over to the NS side and were able to take that experience and transfer it over into what you're doing over there in Patrick, which is, I think, invaluable because um, just being in that position to help mentor guys really makes you... Get you some introspection into what you believe and what you really value in life. So it seems like you're already doing that, which is why we have you here. I know you briefly mentioned being blown up. We'll save that for a different time. (laughs) Um, and we'll share, go into that kind of story. We want to have a story time podcast, maybe like as an extra or something like that. You guys let us know if you want us to, uh, you guys, listeners out there, if you want to, uh, have us uh open up for story time we'll bring different dudes on to tell their kind of stories. so um yeah all overall though this guy gavin thank you for coming on your total stud um representation of what a pj should be and like you said super charismatic i remember he is always the dude in the bar telling stories and just always captures everyone's attention whenever he's up there speaking about whatever's going on so again um, super awesome, PJ. And thank you again for coming on I'll open it to you guys. Any final questions, thoughts, remarks, anything?
0: No, I'm good, man. Gavin, are you, uh, are you cool with having people hit you up on your IG if you want? If you, if you want to have them follow you or whatever, throw your IG handle out there.
2: Oh, it's uh, wait, what is it? It's, DJ fish sticks. Yeah, DJ fish sticks.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I'm it, just it, it, part it, of that it, story. Questions. Part of that story time is going to be me telling the DJ fish stick story. The best story of all time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How the, when the legend was born DJ fish <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it's DJ fish hit me up I'm terrible at texting and responding but uh, I'll get to it
0: eventually so
3: <laughs> all right Trent Aaron anything
0: now I'm Perfect. good thanks for coming on Gavin appreciate your time bud alright yeah, man appreciate cool. it. thanks
3: guys well thanks again for you guys for listening and you guys can always hit us up any, anytime we're here for you if you have any questions or you want to see anything on the podcast make sure you hit us up we I'm getting set up right now to open up the shop again so you guys can order up those gray man shirts and we still have the sticker packs and everything shop's gonna be open real soon so make sure you go ahead and check that out and if you guys need anything at any point in time make sure you hit us up follow us um Make sure you leave us a comment, five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. And thank you again for your support. You guys go out there, earn each breath. Later. Later. out. Later. Later.